0: If you have been here with us for the last few weeks and you know that we are uh, headlong into our Greater Vision series where we are um, kind of introducing to you guys as a church our focal our theme and our, our, I say, I keep trying to say focus word, but it's not a word this year. It's two words. So we're going to say theme uh, for the year, which is greater vision. And we're talking about how God has uh, got something for us. We just want to be able to see things the way God sees things. We want to see people the way God sees people. We want to see our sin the way God sees our sin. We want to do all those things with greater intent than just coming about it with uh, kind of the same old, same old mentality and, uh, and mindset. And so as we've been working through this, our, our challenge to you guys has been to live greater, to love greater, to serve greater, to give greater, uh, to do all these things by greater and greater means. And then last week I gave you guys a, uh, a formula really to use, I, I built on it the first Sunday and the second Sunday of the year, uh, to, to kind of begin to process things in our own individual lives as well as our lives collectively as a church, that if we just trust, know, uh, believe and do, uh, and and use those four things in an, an incredible. Way in our own personal life, and that will lead us to do these things that God has uh, given us. If you want to live with greater vision, then you trust Him. You got to trust that what He says and what He's bringing you to, He's got a purpose behind. Then you you know Him. You got to you got to understand His word, and you got to be in His word. You got to know what He wants from our lives to take those next steps, and then believe that that God has got something for us on the backside of whatever He's leading us to, and then it just naturally takes us to do, which is make those baby steps forward each and every day in our lives to do what God has put before us. That's how you live with greater vision. You trust him, you know him, you believe him, and then you just do it. Uh, And and I believe as we kind of worked our way through that the last couple of weeks, hopefully that all made sense. And uh, hopefully those are some really easy action steps that you guys can remember and can kind of log in the back of your head and and think, okay, when something comes, I'm just gonna trust him and I'm gonna know him, I'm gonna believe him, and I'm just gonna do it. And I'm I'm gonna go right into what God's got for me. And all those things play together to really understand this idea Idea of greater vision. Now we got all that from John chapter fourteen, and really our focus verse for the year is John fourteen twelve. That just says should be on the screen. I tell you the truth: anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father, and we discovered last week that the greater things are us. That's us as a church, that we are doing greater things, not individual, like I can't go up and I can't uh, heal people, and I can't go up and make people who can't walk, walk, or people who can't see, see. I can't do that. Jesus can do that. I can't. Uh, but we get to do greater things because we have a global impact, and, and the fact that Jesus was pretty centrally located uh, in his little corner of the world, uh, the church has expanded and grown and really really uh, has the ability to make a greater impact, to do greater things. And so we learned last week that that's really us and that because Jesus has spoken this truth over us, it's our obligation to live this out and to really live this truth in us. And so this week, what I want to do is I want to take a Another really great passage of scripture, chapter. Really, we're going to go through the whole chapter, and uh, and and I don't have any points this morning. Um, I'm just going to kind of let the the scripture kind of speak for itself. We're going to work all the way through this, and I'm just going to say from the jump, okay, that this passage of scripture can be confusing. And it can be a little hard to understand. But I promise you, as we work our way through it, if you put a little bit of work into it and you just kind of dissect it as we dissect it, then you're going to walk away with something really, really incredible and, and a really hard challenge from God's Word. So if you've got your Bible, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians um, is... Uh, let me, I'm going to give you a little background before we dive off into this, but it, this whole chapter is what we're going to work our way through this morning. And and what you need to know about 2 Corinthians is that it's really not, quote-unquote, 2 Corinthians. And I know you're thinking, what in the world are you talking about? So let's. I'm going to give you some background, some Corinthians timeline, if, if you will, okay? And I believe this helps us with our context, because if we don't have context, we don't really understand what Scripture's saying. So here's the first little subpoint point here. Uh, what we know as 1st and 2nd Corinthians are really 2nd and 4th Corinthians. Uh, We don't have the very first letter and we don't have the middle letter. And so if we're numbering them or lettering them A, B, C, and D, we have B and D. That we label first and second because we don't have A and C. They're just, they're no longer in existence. And we know that those letters exist because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians. And so if you read those two books, they're they're two separate letters written at separate times with separate messages, but to the same church in Corinth. And so here's our timeline. This will help make it all sense, okay? Paul visits Corinth in about. Uh, this is on his second missionary journey, about fifty to fifty-two A.D., and he starts the church in Corinth. That's why the letter is named Corinthians. Okay, so it's in Corinth, in the city of Corinth. And Corinth is a very big town. Okay, this is a this is a pretty major trading hub. They've got uh, it's up by the Aegean Sea, and so they've got they've got uh, they've got merchants on water and on land coming through there. So there's a lot of people in Corinth. It's a pretty popular hub. There's a lot of stuff going on, and he goes to this place and uh, on his second missionary journey, which is an act. Chapter 18, if you want to to mark that for later on. Uh, And he plants a church then, okay? And then he wrote what 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says a previous letter, okay? And so in our 1 Corinthians, it already mentions a previous letter. And so we know that there was a letter before our 1 Corinthians that Paul had written them. And in this letter, he writes some pretty hard things, right? He's he's telling them some pretty hard truths because what we know is in 1 Corinthians, he's kind of getting on to them. He's going, why didn't you listen to me, right? You guys got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this. And so he wrote what we know as 1 Corinthians next. Okay, and 1 Corinthians is written in about 55, he wrote it from Ephesus, this is all on his third missionary journey, this is all recorded for us in Acts. Uh, and so in about 55, about, uh, about five, three to five years after he planted the church, he writes the second letter, what we know as 1 Corinthians. Okay, And in this, uh, he says some pretty hard stuff, we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, what we know what happens next is most likely Timothy uh, visits Corinth. Paul's on his missionary journey. He's he's making the rounds, right? And so Timothy, his little right-hand man, his brother is is like a son to him, visits and returns with a bad report. They're still not doing what they're supposed to do, okay? Now, Paul made, at this point, a visit to Corinth. He went back to see them again. This is his second time there. And the 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this was a painful visit. He goes and he kind of Cleans house a little bit. He kind of comes in and he tries to get them to do what's right and do what they're supposed to do because they weren't listening to what he said in our 1 Corinthians. Okay? So he goes and he kind of, he really kind of puts the hammer on them. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he also mentions a sorrowful letter. And so what I believe happened is that Paul goes and he kind of cleans house a little bit with this painful visit. And then he writes this sorrowful letter about how they've broken his heart. Because they haven't been doing what is right. They haven't been living like they're supposed to. Well, we believe that Titus probably took this sorrowful letter to Corinth. And he delivers it to him. The people in the church in Corinth, they read the letter and they, they have a complete change of heart that God really brings the Spirit and they, they do what they're supposed to do and they begin to live life like they're supposed to. And so Titus comes back with this really good report. Finally, right? Everything's doing what they're supposed to do. And so Paul does what he would normally do. He writes them again, right? And he, he writes what we know now as 2 Corinthians, which is really the fourth letter. And he says, great, thank you finally for doing everything you're doing. This is a, a letter of excitement and and, and really just encouragement to them. This is written about 56 AD. Uh, and so this is all happening pretty close to each other. This isn't like a long, long time frame. We're talking about a couple of years maybe uh, in, the, in, the, in the big breath of everything. He writes this letter, and he's like, finally, you guys are getting it. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. I'm so excited. Now, let me tell you some things about marriage, and let me tell you some things about some other stuff that you need about joy and suffering and, and finding comfort in, the, in God and, and being a reconciler, right? He tells them all this stuff in 2 Corinthians, and he's really kind of pumping them up, and then uh, he wrote all of that from Macedonia, which is in Acts. Again, it tells you a little bit about what's going on there, and then I'll put it down at the bottom just because it's good to know that Paul visits a third time to Corinth after they have 2 Corinthians, after he spoke life into them, he comes back and kind of cheers them on. And while he's there, he wrote the letter to the Romans. And so that's just for your information, that last point doesn't have anything to do with our, our scripture this morning, but it's really neat to know where Romans came from. It came from Corinth, a place that he had a really good relationship. Now, why is all this really important? When we think about reading scripture, it's so good to know the the context of everything that's written. Because when you understand and when you read First and Second Corinthians, this is not just a, a letter written to some church that just got started by somebody that he's just trying to speak truth to. He knows these people. He knows about them. He knows their strengths. He knows their weaknesses. He knows the things that they've been struggling with. He knows the victories that they've made. It's, the only thing that I can compare this to is... Our friend, uh, Sonny Tucker, you guys who've been here long enough know Sonny. Sonny's now the executive director of the state convention, and Sonny knows this church, right? When I, when I call somebody and I talk to Sonny, Sonny asks about some of you people in this church. He, he knows the people who are great in this church, and he knows the people in this church that are like, hey, have you heard from this person lately? And I'm like, no, man, we're not having any problems. He's like, that's great. And so he knows intimately this church because he's been here. He was the interim in this church for a little while. You guys, I think, gave him a shotgun at some point, which if you want to be Sonny's friend, you give him a gun, right? And so, like, he knows this church. It's the same with Paul and Corinth. He knows. He knows the people. He knows their ins and outs. He knows all their, their struggles. He knows kind of what's going on. And so when we read First Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians is where he's really talking about marriage. I said that was second, but it's first. He He's kind of given some some uh, hard things about uh marriage and about, uh, eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. I and mean, you have got to remember the city of Corinth was a, it was the, it was the sin city of the day. Okay. To be a Corinthian girl was, uh, was a synonymous with being a prostitute. Okay. And so it was just, and there's a temple, there's a pagan temple in Corinth that had a thousand temple prostitutes that lived there. And so worship was very geared that direction in that town. There were places where men would go to the library. And there were underground tunnels to brothels. And so their, their husbands would go, and they're, oh, I'm going to the library. And they'd go to the library, and they'd go underground and go across the road to, uh, to the brothel. And so this is a town that we think, well, like, this is, this is really bad. But think about the worst city that we know, and then multiply it by, like, 10. Okay, so this is what Corinth is. And there's all these issues and all this stuff. And, and Paul's trying to tell them about marriage and about uh, idol worship. He's talking about um, things like um, uh, resurrection. They were having some issues with their disagreements on resurrection. They were having issues with abusing the Lord's Supper. Y'all remember that in, in First Corinthians where some people were taking the Lord's Supper and then not leaving enough for everybody else and they were getting drunk on wine and everybody else was not getting to participate. And Paul's writing them going, what are you guys doing? And finally, after all these different visits and after these different letters, that he's able to write back this encouraging letter of, yes, you guys got it. Thank you so much for doing it. I knew you could. Let me challenge you to see joy through suffering. Let me challenge you in this area. Let me challenge you to trust God and to know him and to take these next steps. He's really just kind of pumping them up in 2 Corinthians. And so when we get to our passage, you're thinking like of all this excitement and praise and like you're doing it. Thank you so much for getting to it. We're in chapter three. You're going, this is going to be awesome. We're going to be So uplifted this today, we're going to be encouraged, we're going to be happy, we're going to be, we're not going to be sarcastic or proving a point, right? Because this is an exciting letter. Chapter three, verse one, Paul starts and says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Now you read this verse by itself and you go, what in the world is he talking about? But he's proving a major point here. And I'm going to tell you why. There's two parts of this. And and, and most of this people in this time, especially guys like Paul who were traveling and sharing the word of Christ, they would carry letters, almost like letters of recommendation, um, that kind of proved that they were okay to listen to. Maybe they were from James. Remember, James was the head of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, and remember, if you remember in Acts, Paul had to come and present himself to James. And James gave him the right hand to fellowship, which means he kind of said, Yeah, you're, you're the real deal. You can go uh, preach this to the Gentiles. Maybe they're from Barnabas, uh, who was an established minister and who had gone with Paul. Remember from the very beginning, Barnabas went and got Paul and, and kind of spent a year with him just to see if he was legit. And so Barnabas would write these letters to these guys and they would, they would carry them with them and they'd go to a church in a town maybe they'd never been before and they'd present this letter from a head honcho, if you will, and go, hey, listen, I can be trusted. And so they'd read that letter and go, well, if so-and-so signed off, if James signed off on him, or if Peter signed off on this guy, or if, or if Barnabas signed off on him, then we can trust what he's going to say. And so Paul here to the church in Corinth, now this is the church he knows. and he, People know him and he knows him. And he says, do I need these letters of recommendation? Oh, better yet, should I get them to you or from you? Should you write my own letter of recommendation for your own church, right? Should I have to do that? He's trying to prove a point here and he's doing it because of the first thing that he says. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Now, now if you don't understand this, then let's take a second. 1 Corinthians, Paul says some things that if you have ill intent, if if you're upset and you're mad and somebody's trying to correct you, you can kind of twist their words. You know how we do that sometimes? Paul says things like, we have the mind of Christ. He says, by the grace God gave me, I laid a foundation, and you should be careful how you build on it. He says, some people get paid for preaching. I don't. Don't listen to that verse, okay? If you listen, I'm just kidding. Uh, he says, I, "I still need." to... Okay, anyway, um, he says, "He said, I, some people. I'm doing it out of what God has called me to do." And if you have ill intent, you can kind of hear that with a little like uh, braggadocious tone. You can hear that with a little bit of a kind of a boisterous. I'm bragging on myself. In 2 Corinthians, he even starts off saying, "We are to God the aroma of Christ among those being saved." Now, if someone has hit you in the mouth over and over again with truth and you don't like it and you're not really living up to it and you hear those things, you kind of twist that. But what Paul's doing all through 1 Corinthians, even in the Second Corinthians, is he's not bragging on himself. He's bragging about what God has done. He's going, listen, we have the mind of Christ and we're just obediently following him. This is not about us. This is about him. I laid the foundation, so be careful what you put on the foundation. But the foundation is not me. It's Jesus. And he says it over and over and over again. He's not bragging on himself. He's bragging about what all God has done. And so he says here, if we go, let's just, because I don't have this on the screen, uh, chapter three, go back one verse in your scripture. Go back one verse in the Bible. This is chapter two, because remember, the chapters aren't there. And so as they're reading this, they read the sentence above it. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. And then he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Like, are you going to say that I'm bragging again? Are you, are you, are you going to put this out of context and say that I'm... No, this is not about me. This is about God. He's, he's proven an incredible point with this very first passage of Scripture out of chapter 3. He's saying, listen, this is not about me. You guys know me. You know my heart. You know that I'm not trying to make myself something that I'm not. I'm just following after what God's got. So get off my back. Don't read into it. Let's just keep moving forward. That's exactly how he starts, chapter 3. I love it. Because when you know Paul, you know he doesn't, he doesn't cut any corners. He's not trying to beat around any bushes. He's going to hit you right in the mouth. He keeps going, verse 3. You yourselves are our letter. Isn't that great? He says, do we need to carry these letters of recommendation? He says, you yourself are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by Everybody. You should know that you are a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Man, that's a beautiful passage of scripture. Paul looks at the Corinthians and says, You want proof of the validity of our ministry? Look in the mirror. Look at yourself. Look what God has done in your lives. You are the letter. And and church, can I just say the same thing to you? Because here's what I believe we do. I believe that we begin to doubt that God can use us or that he could even give us this greater vision that we've been talking about for the last few weeks to reach people and to minister to people and to serve people and to extend grace to other people. We doubt that he can do that. And can I just say the same thing? Look at yourself. Look at what God and all the incredible things that God has done in your life. Just look around your family. Look around your employment. Look around your home and know that God has something for you and that he's going to bring you through whatever it is that you're facing right now so that on the backside of it, you could give more and more glory to him because God's not done with you yet. Look how he has graced you with blessing after blessing after blessing. Yeah, there are hard times, right? There are times where we feel like I don't know if I can get through this. I don't know if there's, I don't know why I'm having to go through this, right? We ask those questions to God all the time. But why would He not continue to want to use you? Why would He not continue to just say, listen, I've got a plan and I've got a purpose for your life. I've got something that I'm trying to develop inside of you. And if you just hang with me, if you'll just walk through this, then you'll see a bigger purpose on the other side. You'll have greater vision, if you will, on the other side of this. And, and I'm saying it just like Paul. We're not commending ourselves again. This is not about us. We're simply acknowledging all that God has done and brought us through. And we step back and we say, listen, he's brought me this far for a reason. Or surely surely he hasn't made me walk through that for nothing. God, I know that you've got something for me. I know that you're not done with me. I know that you've got a plan and a purpose for me. So, God, I can't wait to see what you're doing. The boys and I watched a movie last night. It's just a, a kid's movie that's so good. And at the end of it, one of the characters says, I don't have any idea what I'm going to do tomorrow. And the guy who's talking to him, looking at him and said, how exciting. How, what if we lived our life like that? What if we lived our life with, I don't know what God's going to do with me next Tomorrow. But I'm so excited about it. I cannot wait to see what it is that he's going to do. Because Paul's telling us that your story, your story, the things that God's doing in your life are not written in the law on tablets of stone, right? Your story's not about the do's and the don'ts. Your story's about the Spirit, the Spirit of God that's living inside of you, written on your heart, and so listen to me, church, if you don't get anything from this morning, if you don't get anything from what I'm saying, then, then hear this. If you are saved, if you have a real, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus where you understand your need for a Savior and you have committed your life with Him, then you are not done yet. God's not done trying to do things and accomplish things and work in and through your life. You have an opportunity to move forward and to move with confidence, knowing that God's brought you to something, that he's going to bring you through something, that if he's allowed things to happen in your life, that he's going to allow you to work through those things in your life because he's got a greater story that he's writing on your heart. And it doesn't matter if you're five years old or if you're 50 years old or if you're 50, years old. He's still not done with you yet. But here's what we do. We step back and we say, he can't. He can't use me. Maybe, maybe, and this is the most ridiculous thing to think of it like this, but we, we literally put limits on the creator of the universe. We believe in our heart that when, when Psalms says that he breathed the stars into existence, we believe that. We, we believe in the star-breathing God, but we believe that same God can't somehow overcome a mistake that we made in our 20s. That doesn't make any sense. We say that God can't use us, that we limit the power of God from our own perspective. And we say, no, God, God can't or he won't use me. Or we believe that this greater vision that we've been talking about, this, this new perspective for living and for families and for service and for the church and for ministry, is somehow for someone else. No, that's that's for somebody else to do. That's for somebody else to accomplish because either I'm too old or I'm too young or I'm too tired or I'm too busy. Those are the four excuses we give most. I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too tired, or I'm too busy. And let me just say this with love and hear it with love. Those excuses are worn out, so please stop using them. How in the world would we ever stand before God and say, yeah, I was too busy to do what you called me to do. Or I was just too tired. Guess what? Everybody's tired everybody's worn out. Everybody's got a schedule and their schedule is hectic and crazy. And nobody ever feels like there's enough time. And guess what? I feel like I'm too old. I'm 41. And I go, sometimes I'm just too old for this. We went to the trampoline park Friday. I dropped Jessica and the girls off at the women's retreat. And we were coming back, boys rode with me and we were coming back through Little Rock and uh, and the boys said, let's go to Urban Air. And we had gift cards from Christmas. And so I was like, yeah, we'll go to Urban Air. And we walk in and the boys look at me literally with expectation of going, are you going to jump too, dad? And I go, No, no, I'm not going to jump. I'm too old to do that. If I jump, I won't be able to walk tomorrow. And they were like, okay. And so I was like one of the old dads with all the grandpas in that place, walking around with my hands in my pockets, watching kids jump on trampolines. I was just like, listen, sometimes we use those excuses and they're okay. But when it comes to what God's called us to, stop saying that. You're never too old. You're never too old. You're never too young. You're never too busy. And you're never too tired to do what God's asking you to do. So stop making those excuses, church. God's going to give us something. He's going to bring us to something. I believe this year, that's what we're praying for, with this greater vision, I believe that God is going to bring us something this year that's going to push us and challenge us and make us change in way, the way we think and the way we process and the way we do ministry in our church. And when that comes, Belize believe already beginning to form. When it comes, we can't give an excuse. We can't say, yeah, God, you can do everything. You can create everything. You can make all things. All things are possible except in my life because I can't. Because I, 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 that's a myopic attitude and we're not going to do it. Okay? Can we just all say that we're not going to do it? Let's stop making those excuses. And Paul's looking at the church in Corinth and he's saying, listen, God's still got something he's trying to do in you. He's still trying to produce something because it's written not on tablets of stone, not on, in the law, not in the do's and don'ts, but on your heart because God's changed your heart. Keep reading and explains this. Verse 4, such confidence as this is ours. We can believe this. We know this to be true. This is our confidence through Christ before God, not... That we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. But our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now let's break this down because this is where to gets repetitive and can get really confusing. Our confidence is that God is doing all of this and not us. We're not competent on our own. We can't do this on our own. We are we are unable to do anything of any value to God. But Our competence comes from Him because He is the one orchestrating everything that we do. He is the one who is putting our our actions and our feet to action. He is the one who's putting words in our mouth. He is the one who allows us to share love and to give love and extend grace and to forgive and to move forward and to move past boundaries that we've put up in our own personal lives and the boundaries that we put up in our church. We're we're able to do all the things, not because of us. We're not confident in ourselves, we're confident in Him because He can do all things. He can do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine, right? That's Scripture. And we say we believe it, but we don't live like we believe it. Because we say, well, I can't because I can't. And, and we're all, we all just need to look in this room and say, You're right, we can't. But he can. And our confidence is in him and who he is and what he's calling us to. In our context, God is the one who gives this greater vision. He is the one who orchestrates and makes it all happen. He adds this profound statement, and this is really great. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. Did you catch that? This is is going back to uh, the law and and like checking off our boxes, right? We're, We're not just doing the right things or saying the right things. We're not doing it by the letter, but we're doing it by the spirit. We're not doing it by, by trying to like merit grace. We're not doing that. We're doing it because the Spirit of God lives within us and He is driving us to greater things. Now, he compares the Spirit to the law in a very familiar example to his audience, which is Moses. And so let's look at his example and we're going to see how this kind of all plays together. Verse 7. If the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory. So the Israelites could not even look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory. Fading as it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Okay, so what he's referencing here is Exodus chapter 34. When, when Moses would go up on Mount Sinai to get the law, it says that he came down from the mountain and his face was literally glowing from being in the presence of God. And and so much that, that he would veil his face, he'd put a veil over it when he spoke to the Israelites, not not to not to just mess them up, right? Because they were so afraid, they were so taken back by this, they couldn't even, they couldn't handle it. And and he's saying, Listen, when when Moses began to come down off the mountain, his, that glory was already fading. Because it wasn't Moses' glory, it was God's. And so it was already starting to fade. But he still had to keep it veiled. And he would talk to the Israelites and he'd go back and it says when he, whenever Moses would enter the presence of God, he would take the veil off. And he would stand before God, open and honest, and then he'd start to glow or shine and reflect God's glory. He'd come back down and he'd put the veil back over his face. And so Paul is saying here, listen, um, if this is the case, if, if the law that God gave was already fading when Moses came down the mountain and he stood among the people. How much more glory comes from the God's spirit that lives within us? Listen, if if Moses was shining, because he was literally standing in front of God, then you should be beaming because the spirit of God lives within inside of you. That's what he's saying. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that great to think about Moses and how, listen, he's writing people who know the story of Moses. He knows the people, and they may not all be Jews that live in Corinth. They're mostly Gentile, but they know about Moses. And so they're telling him, giving this really great example and analogy. And he's saying, listen, if Moses was shining because of that, then you should be beaming because the Spirit of God lives inside you. Moses was just reflecting it. This is in you. The Spirit of God lives in you. And so you should be radiating his glory. And it keeps going, verse 9. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Now think about it like this, because we've got to remember the law. And we've got to remember the law is ruling the day right now. Has been for a couple thousand years at this point. And the law, if you break one, you've broken all of it. You've broken Everything. It, because really, you, there's this feeling of, of condemnation because you can't really keep the law. Even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the guys who pride themselves on keeping the law, they didn't keep all of it. They just kept the majority of it. And so they could walk around and say things like, yes, we keep the law, because nobody else was even living up to their level. But they couldn't keep it all. And with the law, if you break one thing, you break it all. You're guilty of all of it. And so there was this feeling of it's not even worth it, right? Right? Why am I going to try to live this way? I can't. I can't live up to this. And so I'm not even going to live up to it. There's this feeling of condemnation that comes with it. And Paul says here, listen, the ministry that condemns, if that ministry is glorious, then how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness That elevates you to live above, to to live above the fray, to do everything that you can do in God's power. How much more glorious is that? Now, what I love about this is that Paul didn't come up with this on his own. He, he He didn't have to come up with this by himself. Everybody knows John 3, 16, right? We could all recite that. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? We know that. Some of you know that in the King James Version, which means you're super spiritual, right? And so we, we know that passage of Scripture. But do you, do you know John 3, 17? It's incredible. Jesus is still speaking, and he says, Therefore, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So Jesus follows up the probably the most famous passage of Scripture. And says, This is not about condemnation. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to save you. I'm here to I'm here to bring you into this, if you will, righteousness. Not to make you feel bad about what you can't accomplish. Romans five eight, Paul wrote this uh, after he wrote 2 Corinthians. But he says this, Therefore is no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And he's, just, he's just processing this even deeper and even fuller. And he's, he's taking this thought of glorious and how glorious the law of the Spirit is and he, just, he expounds on that in Romans. And he says, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, listen, this, this law that, that, is, that is pressing down on you, that's not, what you're, that's not what you're living in. You're living by the Spirit. You're living by the law of the Spirit, not the law of the letter, not the law written on stone. And so when it comes to us and the life that we're living, listen, there are times in our life where we feel like we are just heavy. We feel like we're underneath this weight of, of things that we can't ever live up to. And, and we, th- we think things like, well, I can never be good enough. For God to really use me, I can never be good enough for Him to really ever forgive me. I can never really get over what happened here. And and Scripture says it over and over and over again you're right. We can't. We can never be good enough. We can never get over. We can never work through because God does that for us. He does all of that for us. We don't have to do it on our own. We cannot, we literally cannot do it on our own. And so stop living like you're condemned. Stop carrying around the baggage of things that God tried to take from you on the cross. But there's a problem is that we come to the cross and we lay down our baggage and we say, God, will you just forgive me? And we walk away and we come back and go, "Well, yeah, but I, I still need to hang on to this one. And we carry it around and we, and we carry underneath the burden and the weight of this junk that we should have left at the cross to begin with. And God's saying, you, you can't have this righteousness. That's what I give to you. And so stop living condemned. It keeps going. Verse 10. Told you I didn't have any points. We're just reading Scripture. Verse 10 For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. Isn't that great? What you thought was good is not even really good anymore, knowing what's great. Okay? And he says, What was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, this is our theme, how much greater the glory of what lasts? Isn't that great? How much greater is the glory of that which lasts? When we think about... everything that we're talking about from greater vision to greater love to greater understanding to greater seeing and greater understanding of our sin to greater ministry. When we think about all that, think about this greater glory. How much greater is the glory? If we're living by the Spirit who works in us, if we're walking in step from what He wants for our life, and we live by that equation, right? That's trust Him, know Him, believe Him, and do. And if we're doing all that and what the Spirit of God is telling us to do, then we experience greater glory. Greater glory than than the law gave with condemnation and the do's and don'ts. We have this, this freedom and this incredible expression of God's glory living within us that gives us greater vision, that will give us love with greater compassion, that will give us uh, forgiveness with greater mercy, that will give us service with greater humility. The spirit of God is not done with us yet. And so we very much, with him very much alive in our hearts and wanting to produce something in us that lasts, it's our responsibility to surrender to that and say, we can't do this on our own. We can't live this way on our own. We can't lead our families well on our own. Men, women are going to the retreat. When they come back, they're going to come back and tell stories about stuff you don't even want to hear about, but they're going to tell stories about how they felt the Spirit of God move in that place, and you should be able to say, okay, then let's make that real in our home. We can't do that on our own. We can't do that by ourselves. We have to come underneath His greater glory and submit to that understanding and saying that, this is not about me. So what Paul said from the very beginning, it's not, I'm not commending myself again. This is all about him. And when we walk away from that, how incredible would it be if three months from now, families were radically changed for Jesus. Just because we said it's all about him. It's not about us. It's not all about his ability, not about my inability. How incredible. Listen, I, we are counseling with four married couples right now. Four people who are in our church and in our community, people who are outside of our church, who are coming and counseling and saying, listen, we're having some stress in our marriage and we need to really work this out. We were having some issues and we got to really get this figured out. There are some things that are really pressing in and we got to figure it out. Guess what? The very first thing we do is we come back to what God's Word says. If we just live it, it begins to bend things. It begins to change things. Church, what if? What if our families were radically changed? Because it's not about us, it's about him. It's not about our inability, it's about his incredible ability. If that's not enough, I'm running out of time. Verse 12, Whew. we're going through it. Verse 12, He says, Therefore, since we have a ho- such a hope, we are very bold. And my question is, are we? Are we bold? Do we, would we say that we are living with bold faith? Would you say that the Spirit of God living inside you is causing you to live Boldly, what's the last bold thing you did for God? Showed up to Sunday school? Listen, for some of you, that's a big step, and I'm not downgrading that. But if that's the last thing that you did and it was 30 years ago, maybe it's time for something else bold to happen in your life. Maybe it's time for you to really step out and live in faith and, and live boldly for God instead of living sheepishly in the shadows. For some of us, that means we have to change our language. We have to change our behavior. We have to change our friend group. We have to change our complacency. We have to change our bad attitude. We have to change our blame others mentality. We have to change our heart and surrender. Verse 13 through 15, Paul begins to talk about the Jews who who didn't really understand Jesus and they didn't really grab onto that and they they kind of missed him and they uh, they missed who he was. They're still waiting on the Messiah, right? In verse 15, he says, uh, beautifully, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. He uses that same analogy from Moses earlier. He says, but whenever anyone turns from the Lord, the veil is taken away. That we can stand in front of God with full honesty and not hiding behind a veil. We get to be like Moses with faces... Uh, bear in front of him. And then my last thought, and then it's two verses and I'm done. Uh, Verse 17. This is one that we all know. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and when the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, in context of everything that we've read today, this freedom is not because of who we are Like We read that verse sometimes and we think, well, there's freedom because I'm saved. I get to do whatever I want. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I get to do whatever because I am saved. And that's not at all what Paul's saying. What he's saying is this freedom that we experience is because of who he is. Because of the Spirit, we have freedom. We're not condemned. And this freedom is not our ticket to do whatever we want. This freedom is to live how he wants us to live. Isn't that incredible? So when we read that passage of Scripture now, no longer is there just freedom. There's freedom in who he is, not in who we are, not just because we are saved. It's too long we've read that. if I retroactively, I've got freedom from sin, maybe. I've got freedom from my past. I've got freedom from my mistakes. But in context, I believe he's saying, I've got freedom to live now, How God wants me to. It doesn't have anything to do with my past. It has everything to do with my present and my future. I'm free to live in His glory. There's freedom. The second thing I think is so great. Verse 18. If we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is great. We, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. I'm going to be real honest. I wish that said greater glory. I I did. I looked on every version there was to see if that word was translated into greater glory because it would just fit so well with our series. It would fit so well with with what my message was. But it's not what it says, and so we're not changing scripture. I'm not changing. It just says ever increasing glory. And I went to the I went to the original Greek word. I was going. I was trying to find some connective tissue here. It's not greater glory. But as I read it over and over again, I thought it's even better. It's ever increasing. Because that means that there is no end to his glory. We think about greater glory, we have these like plateaus of glory. Well, there's some glory, there's a little bit more, and then this must be greater glory. So, this this area over here, this is greater glory. But the word used in scripture means ever increasing glory, it never stops. The glory of God in our life and that he is due and the glory that he gives to us is never ending. It's ever increasing. And that's incredible. That's so much better of a word than greater. And as I read this, I got, okay, God, this is it. This is exactly what you want from us. This is exactly the kind of surrender that you want from us. You just want this ever increasing. You want this ever increasing Love, you want this ever-increasing devotion. You want this ever-increasing devotion because you are going to give ever-increasing glory. That's incredible. So there's some things that we need to do. And this is really, this is it. For some of us, we need to take some steps, right, to, to experience this ever-increasing glory. We have, to, we have to begin to surrender some things. We have to, we have to begin to, to give up and to give out of some mindsets and to change the way we process and to change the way that we actually think about who God is. The number one thing that we need to do, most of us, is we just need to ask for forgiveness. we got some stuff we've been carrying around for a long time. Some, some some things that some baggage that we should have left at the cross that we've been carrying and we've been living in condemnation instead of living in the Spirit. It's time for us to kind of give that up. Some of us in this room need to surrender maybe for the very first time to who He is. We talk about if you have a saving relationship with Jesus and some of y'all say things like, well, I hope so or I think so. When Scripture says very plainly, we write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, this is not a question mark in your life. should not be a question mark in your life. It should be an exclamation point. I know I'm saved. Some of us may need to t- join the church. Some of us need to just step out in obedience to whatever God's calling you to. Some of you may need to start teaching a class. You may need to start volunteering in a ministry. You may need to say, like, you know what? I I haven't been super involved, but I want to be, and so I'm going to be. Maybe, just maybe, I've had my feelings hurt by the church. I had a gentleman come talk to me and said, listen, I was mad about something that happened a long time ago, and I let the devil take over that for a long time, and I'm tired of that. And so I'm going to start doing this. Listen, that's freedom. That's not not looking back. That's looking forward. Some of y'all need to say, it's time that I got back. to doing what I know I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe it's within your family. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe, listen, many people here this morning, we got lots of things going on. But it's, it's time to do. We trust him. We know him. We believe him. And now it's time to do. And so that's our call this morning. That's your challenge this morning, to read this passage of Scripture again with the full understanding of why Paul was saying what he was saying, but in the same breath, how he said all these incredible things to push them into ever-increasing glory. Listen, maybe you've got some sin that you need to confess. This is, this is your time. If You need to come to the altar and pray. The altar's always open. You always come to the altar and pray. If you want to come pray with Dustin or I, you're welcome to do that. But listen, this is more about what God's doing in your life and what you are letting Him do. Are you surrendering fully? Are you, are you pulling back and saying you can't? I know you can do all things, but you can't here because I've got all these excuses. I ask you to stand. I'm going to pray. This is our invitation. TJ is going to come and sing just a, just a quick verse. We're not going to be here long. If you need to do business with God, this is your opportunity to do it. This is the most important time that we've got all morning. Let's pray together. Hey, this is Matt I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. We'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emanuel. Thanks for watching.